0: If you like to do this, or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emory's got your back, or your shoulder, or your hip, or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports.
1: This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory.
0: Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim
2: Eccles. And thank you, Scott Slade. It's a great day to be talking about energy, technology, sustainability, and especially ideas to save money in the process. And today's show is sponsored by Velo Solar. It's a full-service solar EPC firm offering turnkey solutions for installation, real-time energy management tracking, operations, maintenance, uh, for commercial properties mainly uh, for facilities not only in Georgia but around the nation. Thank you, Mark Bell. And Velo Solar is located right there on the Beltline uh, down there in Atlanta. So we appreciate him being a part. John, you're... um, a veteran uh, energy efficiency expert, John Noah, my co-host. You've got solar on your home, rainwater and condensate collection. Uh, you drive an electric car, and you have Tesla batteries. What's the thing, John, that you are most proud of about your you know, the way you handle your energy plant? Do you have a favorite?
3: I, yeah, I just gotta kinda of boil it down to the lowest common denominator. I like saving money.
2: Saving money. <laughs> I yeah.
3: really do. I really like the electric bill being the least. I really like telling Georgia Power where to stick it. Um, I just I, I like I like being in charge of my own destiny and batteries and an electric car and that sort of stuff gives it to you.
2: Yeah. So yeah, the cynical attitude you have though about sticking it to the power <laughs> company. I mean, yeah, the yeah. power. You know, when I took office, the power company, I didn't feel like they were that friendly to solar, and yeah. one of my goals was to change all that. Yeah. And you and, did. You you helped a lot. And, so, and but Georgia, they're still not that friendly to solar. Well, you know, Georgia has become tenth in solar around yes. the nation. And true. You know, I mean, do you find it that for a long time. Really do people really want to go off the grid, or do they just want to save money? I mean, is it – do you find that there's a lot of these kind of Wild West guys yeah, like You know, to there? our friend
3: Casey Boyce's uh, points earlier, I mean, there's these different segments of the population. There's the green tree, tree-hugging tree adopters, and then there's the money-saving Presbyterians, uh, yeah. you know, and there's all these little v- groups.
2: So I'd say there's both. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, w- I want to – I want to bring Steve Epstein into the conversation today, who is an Uber driver. He works with Mosin uh, at BMW Auto Sales, and he, he and he's uh, important in helping to bring new EV drivers to the market. And so, a good guy, and and a generally <laughs> good guy here, Steve. You have done a lot of Uber rides. How many would you estimate you've done in your in your lifetime? Uh. Thirteen thousand plus. What thirteen thousand Uber rides and
4: and Lyft and, and Lyft. <laughs> <laughs> so you know whatever. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. you know Holy
2: John, mackerel. our show's about helping people save money, and certainly it's a great way to do the rideshare market yeah. and the, the, these platforms. They have helped people save money, haven't have they? I mean, is, is it substantial in what consumers are saving by taking a ride on a, on a Lyft or an Uber? Um. In in relation to instead of a taxi, yes, it's about a third, maybe. So it's a third of a price of a taxi, and I mean, are you getting rich doing this? I mean, no. No. yeah. So how, how much do, can I ask you a personal question? How much we won't tell anybody. How much do you how much do you make as an Uber driver?
4: I probably make ten. You to, can say it's uh, Just like ten to twelve dollars an hour plus a company car. Yeah, so you're does oh, you, after I pay for the car, I'm okay. left with ten, twelve bucks an so hour. So you <laughs> provide the insurance, you provide the car, gas, and, car, and, maintenance, and you've got the platform that you that you pull up, and right. it, it tells you where to go to pick up. Right. Uber and Lyft are referral services. They do the referral and the administration. Outside of that, it's Steve's car, right? Um, and. Uh, as such, one of the things that uh, you need to do is to keep the cost of the vehicle as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I started with a Hyundai Sonata EV, uh, hybrid. Mm-hmm. I was getting like 35, 37 miles a gallon. And the transmission started going at 150,000 miles. And then the engine blew. And then... On a rod. On a ride with a customer? No, the engine, it started to spin on the ride. I hobbled them home, and I was headed over to the pizza joint to hang out for a while, and it never made it to the pizza joint. Um, Expensive pizza. But what happened is, you know, losing a car because of transmission and combustion engine, and uh, then I heard uh, uh, Cornelius from uh, Nissan talk about 20 moving parts in a Nissan LEAF, and I says, that's cheaper. And so a, a vehicle with no maintenance... And twenty-five percent of that of gasoline for fuel is is just plain better and cheaper. Besides,
2: environmentally, mm-hmm. um, let's pull Mosin into the conversation. Um, Mosin Tusi, uh, the owner of BMW Auto Sales, and. Mostly, uh, our audience may not know, but I used to be in the car sales business. I, I graduated from the University of Georgia in 1982. and Well, you're a politician. It and, goes and, and, uh, yeah, now family. I'm a politician. Yeah. But, you know, at first, uh, uh, in car sales and car management. And I really had a great experience because my family owned a car auction. We owned Bishop Brothers Auto Auction. And full disclosure, our company was bought by Cox Enterprises, who mm-hmm. owns this uh, radio station. Uh, and uh, and now that auction is a part of Mannheim. Mannheim, uh, yes. And you know, uh, Cox conserves, which is their sustainability program, is the gold standard for corporate sustainability in, in the state uh, and certainly the region. Uh, so uh, I like to brag on the Cox conserves program and all that they're doing. But let's let's get to this point that Steve's making about the 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 number of moving parts in an electric vehicle. I mean, Mosin, do you see? Do you see electric vehicles being able to be used in the future for rideshare, for cab? I mean what do you think it's going to take for that to happen?
1: I think absolutely. I think it's not a matter of if, it's when. And when is how government become more aggressive to support the use of electric transportation and generation generation of, you know, cleaner energy. So it is a must. When I, you know, my background, by the way, is engineering. I graduated from Georgia Tech. So when I just see how an electromotor works versus a combustion engine, it is just so much simpler to generate movement with electricity than with combustion. If you think the combustion engine came along like 150 years to become what it is now, and there are so many systems, so many controls, you know, variable timing, you know, emission control devices, induction, injection, you know, and exhaust control, noise control. It is just so complicated and
2: it's easier just to operate yeah. an electric vehicle. So, John, he mentioned government support. Yep. And we think about what happened in Seattle in particular with The Seattle uh, City Council changing the rules about which vehicles can go to the airport and pick up Mm. customers. So when you go to that rideshare pool at that SeaTac airport, you look around and you go, wait a second, there's nothing but Priuses in this lot. And it takes you kind of takes you aback initially. Yeah. Uh, but what I saw is I spent days in Seattle visiting with Microsoft and Starbucks corporate trying to get these companies to do more investments in Georgia mm. is that the entire rideshare fleet was transformed by that policy
3: right and one so, contract changed that whole and you figure out how much connected to that you've got buses well we got to do our buses we can just fiat that right that's just our decision but then we have a rideshare deal and a taxis deal They to come into this airport which is 20 30 percent of a revenue in a city I would suppose they've got to be high mileage they've got to be alternative fuel or you ain't in here And that changes a lot.
2: Let me bring Casey Boyce into this conversation just for a second to talk about this will it work concept that Georgia Power has introduced. Um, Casey, we've talked about this on previous shows, but, you know, helping a company to decide, okay, should I make this, you know, $35,000 investment, $50,000 investment, they want to know, will it work? So, with the power company putting these devices in these vehicles do you see that this is going to be a confidence builder for these companies and is this going to help move us towards more of a policy like Seattle has?
5: Absolutely. I mean, I think as far as fleets are concerned, you know, the fleet managers um, find EVs and and even hybrids to an extent are unfamiliar. So giving them the tools to see how EVs fit in with the travel patterns of their fleet, um, you know, how far they go in a day and how how long they're stopped for charging overnight or, you know, throughout the day, that goes a long way towards building confidence and and saving those folks money ultimately when they adopt EVs. Now, as far as the the public policy, uh, you know, I don't know, but you know, I, I'm a big fan of the market, and I think once fleet owners uh, get a, a chance to see what EVs can do for them in terms of reducing maintenance costs and fuel costs and uh, maintaining uptime of their fleets, uh, it, it's a no-brainer. And that
3: same Seattle area, there was an independent taxi fellow that said uh, we're going all CNG, and did this in 2012. So there, there, that, that area has been changing fast, and, and I think uh, some government incentives have been able to help uh, push that along. Yeah,
2: so that CNG, that compressed natural gas, I know that when I was in L.A., uh, T. Boone Pickens has his company out there in Seal Beach, and they were able to get the port of Long Beach to start using uh liquefied natural gas on some of those yard trucks that run around and then they've got those super shuttles if you've ever been out west i think we have them in atlanta now but you can order a super shuttle those things are running on cng and then at that john wayne airport in orange county those taxis are running on compressed natural gas so you know we are seeing things that displace this internal combustion engine and and gasoline and for a state like california whose priority now is decarbonizing transportation, yeah. getting away from that gasoline is important, right? It's very important.
3: And, and and some people have realized that just outside of California, as you were a very early adopter here in Georgia, the earliest, I think, on that subject.
2: Well, we've been talking to Mosentusi Tusi and Steve Epstein uh, with BMW Auto Sales about uh, – about- Uh, All things alternative fuel and electric vehicle. And I hope that you consider getting an electric vehicle maybe as your next car. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles. Stay tuned for more information about how you can save money.
6: Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth, the difference is good.
0: Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking ProjectShareInfo.com. And thank you.
2: Hey, this is Tim Eccles. I'm on the Public Service Commission. Welcome to Energy Matters. And this is a show where we want to help you save money we want to help you use technology. We want to help you live a more sustainable lifestyle. My co-host John Noel, John, sustainability, resilience—those words are are used by a lot of people now all over the country. What what does sustainability mean to you and your your upbringing?
6: Hmm.
3: I grew up on a farm, and uh, you know we had an organic garden. Um, we didn't spray pesticides on the crops, uh, even out you know out in the fields. So there was a sort of a farm-to-table culture, uh, food-wise, that was sort of alien 30, 40 years ago. Um, And I think that sort of environmental ethic uh, has helped to engender in me this desire, now that I'm a big city dweller, uh, to to carry forward that same same sort of living, but toward the world of energy and, and helping to affect climate change Uh, in a positive way, rather than a negative way, uh, by using and generating my own power and using my own power more efficiently. Uh, And not just at my home, but also in my transit options. And that's what makes this conversation today so exciting to me, because we're talking about how EV cars and and environmentally friendly transportation options, which is a huge part of our footprint in this world, can be affordable. And I'm sitting here scrolling through his website right now, uh, evhybrid.com, and I'm going, this is how every man can buy a car.
2: Yeah. So ev-hybrid.com Dash, yeah. Uh, is is Mosentusi's website. He's with BMW Auto Sales, one of one of the sponsors for our show. Actually, you know, John, when I think about sustainability I, and I think about older generations, I think about my grandfather's generation. They were very frugal, and they, uh, I remember going to a friend's house, uh, you know, a, about the same age as my grandfather, and they would rewash their Ziploc backs and I hang them up to dry and <laughs> reuse those I, backs. I do instead that. Of I do throwing,
4: that. Instead, Steve, of, instead
2: of throwing the plastic <laughs> yeah. away. And yeah. we you know we've talked on the show before about reusing and uh and and recycling. Mm. Uh you know, Steve, what's the craziest thing that you recycle? Steve Epstein uh here. Uh what, what's the craziest thing that you reuse Zip or box. recycle? The uh, plastic bags, yes. for <laughs> one. Yeah. You know,
4: I do my lunch, and I throw it in plastic bags, and I can't see thrown away. I rinse them, and they're ready to go again tomorrow.
2: Yeah. You, you, you use them again. So uh, I, I take the condensate water out of my dehumidifier in my basement, and I pour it on my plants uh-huh. um, a, around my back porch and, and reuse that. John, what's the craziest thing that you reuse or recycle at your house?
3: Oh, boy. Well... I don't know that I want to get into the details, but uh, uh, growing up on a farm, you are apt to go outside uh, uh, sometimes rather than going inside to go to the bathroom. And uh, so I think that there are opportunities to uh, fertilize things
2: in a large garden. I was at Hike-In on the Appalachian Trail. Not that I'm a hiker, and uh, five miles into Hike-In is about all I can do before I have to call Uh (laughs) 911, but they had those composting toilets up there, like you're talking about yeah and so that's a whole uh, new level and 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 so those toilets uh would um would compost the human waste yes and they took us down into the basement and there was no smell uh and you know eventually all of that compost wound up out there on their butterfly garden Mm -hmm. Uh, so it is possible but we live in a throwaway society don't we and very much you think about really what's going on even with our oceans now and the you know, the amount of plastic waste uh, going in there. So it is good to see companies taking the initiative to to change that. But, you know, can you really change that, you know, just through corporate America? I mean, it's going to have to be individuals who are driving it, don't you think?
3: It's a dual strategy. I Mm -hmm. really do. I think it's it's top down and bottom up, Hmm. and you get there faster.
2: Well, let's talk more about electric cars. I know, you know, it's a huge interest in the Athens, Georgia area. You know our our home station WGAU. It's a lot of electric cars in Athens. Motion, Mohsen, Your your lot is down uh, near Shannon, the old Shannon Mall in Union City, South Fulton County. You know, uh, I mean, there's no Peach Pass Lane on I-85 down there. Are are most of your sales going to South Side people or are North Side people coming to see you?
1: North Side people coming to see us. I think you talk about this in uh, our. Um clean energy and electric transportation event, that electric vehicle totally makes sense for a low socioeconomic, you know, part of the society, you know, where you are, you know, set on a uh, on a budget, you don't have extra money for maintenances. And unfortunately, we do not sell electric vehicle to, you know, our community, people of Union City. Most of them come from Alfredo, Marietta, and lots of out-of-state and out-of-country from Norway, Iceland, Canada.
2: Wow. wow. I want to bring Casey Boyce, uh, one of our energy experts, into the conversation here. Uh, Casey, uh, you're regular on our show and uh, and asked you about this, this low-income adoption for electric vehicles. And, you know, I had a conversation the other day with some folks in my office about the fact that southwest atlanta doesn't really have very many chargers and they were concerned about that. We were talking about well, well there's not a lot of folks driving electric vehicles. How do you how do you look at a city and I mean what is it that will cause a you know, uh, you know, the Southwest to stop, start adopting vehicles as opposed to Forsyth County or Cobb County. How do you change that?
5: Yeah, so I think it's the same thing as we've talked about before with just overall adoption of electric vehicles. You've got to get people in the cars and understanding what they can do for them. So there's a, a great program uh, out in Portland, Oregon, where they actually have EV rideshare uh, vehicles available in lower income communities. So, you know, they give folks that Option to have electric mobility without having to own the car, and you know they get exposure to the vehicle, so they might choose it as their next car if they do that. So I think that's the the number one thing is just giving that exposure because folks can save money, uh, and and it's very significant to folks with lesser means.
2: Yeah, Steve, you work with Mosin and you do a lot of outreach. Uh, you go to these, you know, you go to these uh, fairs and display the vehicles and talk to people. Do you see low income people? taking an interest in the cars and what are what are they asking what is a uh, and I hate to even describe people as low-income I mean I feel like sometimes I'm a low-income person but uh, (laughs) but uh, what's what is the difference between the question that a single mom you know on a very fixed income with three little babies what question is she asking that's different than the north side person who's got all this extra money
4: I would say the very first thing is this is the first electric car I've been in, and I have a hybrid. So understanding what an electric car is and the fact that it's cheaper and it doesn't have the maintenance and repair shocks most of them. And when you can find them, you know, for 10K or less, it becomes a real option. So there's many a, a, uh, a passenger, if you will, who is is riding Uber because their car is either in the shop or they just got totaled or some other reason they don't have transportation, And when I start talking to them about the economics, their eyes light up because, you know, they're used to the car repair and the gasoline and all that kind of stuff. So um, I think the knowledge, you know, like we said, education outreach, education outreach, even more than driving it, you know, it is understanding the costs, I think, is the most significant. So,
2: John, you're Presbyterian. I go to Twelve Stone, which is a Wesleyan church. And... Um, raised Southern Baptists. Let's talk about the faith community and how the faith community might get involved with this. I think about Willow Creek in Chicago Mm. and the fact that they bought an old car garage and they take cars and they refurbish them and they provide them to single moms and low-income people in in their church who need transportation to get to work. Mm. Uh, I think about out in Powder Springs. There's a Methodist church that took an old barn in Powder Springs, Georgia, and they turned that barn into a car repair shop where what you know what could we do in our faith communities to help uh let's just take let's just take the poor in our own congregation let's just take the single moms who are or are struggling to make it what can we do what could we do with electric vehicles in helping them to lower their overall automobile expenses that's a good
3: question. Uh, I think we'd all need to put some noodles to it. But one thing that a lot of, uh, in my case, uh, you know, and luckily, an affluent uh, church in Atlanta, Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, one, the one thing we have is a little extra money laying around. You know, and 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 I think we could potentially look at, uh, you know, maybe co co. Uh, Co-signing on some notes to try and lower interest rates. I'm looking at a 2015 Nissan Leaf for $10,800. It has 37,000 miles on it. Wow. that's one example on this on this EV uh, website, EV hybrid dash hybrid website. But this isn't it alone. There's 2012 with the $6,000 change, 2012 with $7,000. When you when the dollars get that low, you know, grant program, $1,000, $2,000 grants can help. Uh, people a lot. They come up with a thousand. You come up with a thousand. I mean, it's pretty soon you paid for a car. So, I would think that faith communities could help, especially the kind of people you're talking about.
2: So, Mosin, uh, as we wrap up uh, this segment, uh, I mean, you've got people walking in your door every day. They're asking, I guess, the same questions over and over again that you're answering, and then you you actually will loan them a car, right? How does that work?
1: Absolutely. All they have to have is an insurance on their driving. I accept the insurance on the car, so they just sign uh, the loaner form and take the car for three days, no question asked. Actually, Steve was one of those persons that had one of our cars for three days, and he's completely hassle-free, take it home, put it in your garage, charge it, drive it next day to airport or wherever you're working, and then bring it back, and no pressure to buy a car from us, absolutely no pressure. How many of those
2: people wind up, in our last 15 seconds here, wind up, buying a car from you, the ones that try it out. A lot of them? Uh, 50%. Just, just a few
1: uh, uh-huh. to save and we are one of those uh, dealership that we don't have a pressure environment, so we never pressure anybody to buy a car. One of the person that come tester of a car, he bought a
2: new Tesla. Wow. For ex- yeah, wow. so I, I encourage you to take a look at ev-hybrid.com. I've had three cars, electric cars. John's had one. Casey's had a couple, so... Uh, EVs really make a lot of sense these days, especially if you are on a limited income. Well, thanks for joining us for this segment of Energy Matters. We'll continue this conversation in our next segment. I'm Tim Eccles. Know,
6: you know I know, I
1: this episode of
2: Energy Matters is sponsored by Belo Solar. Hey, we're back. This is Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matters. Uh, my co-host uh, John Noel, uh, former state representative, uh, and Casey Boyce uh, here, uh, expert all things energy. And in fact, both of these guys and all of us are very experienced with electric cars and all things energy. I think we we live this stuff on a on a daily and weekly basis. And I want to continue our conversation about EVs, particularly these low range EVs and all oh, those low range yeah so you've got the Tesla John you you you're in the upper crust oh. but mm. you know but me you know with the the Nissan Leafs and and you driving the VW Golfs, Casey, we have to kind of plan our life a little bit different. What's it What's it like in the day of you or your wife driving these EVs?
5: Well, so most days it's pretty easy because our commute's fairly short and we don't have to worry about it. We plug in at night. But um, there definitely are some exceptions to that rule. And the first thing to, to take into consideration is weather. So um, when it's nice out for people, it's nice out for EVs. They get to go a little bit farther. When it's cold out in particular, Watch EVs out. are not... As happy, yeah. that's right. Yep. Their, their range goes down, so you got to kind of take that into consideration. And I'll, I'll tell you about today. So I, I live in Decatur, and coming up here to uh, to record in the Athens area um, is kind of right at the edge of the range of my EV. Right. Well, so what I did. And when is, you say things like at the range, people got to realize you got to
3: get somewhere and you got to get back. So it's that it's that round trip range when you speak of that.
5: My family yeah. would like me to get home tonight. Yes. Right. Um, right. So you know, looking at that, I needed to plan out where am I going to charge out here so that I can make it back? And the the good news is that um, there is an app that's available called PlugShare. I don't get paid by them, but it's a great, it's a great app, app that it's great app. shows all of the different charging locations out there. You can filter it for the charging stations that work just for your car so that you don't end up at a Tesla supercharger trying to figure out how the plug works if you don't have a Tesla. Um, so, you know, I found a, a fast charger nearby, got up here a little bit early, plugged in. I've got enough miles to to make it to the next fast charger on the way home. So I'll stop at two fast chargers today to make my round trip. Um, but the other thing to be aware of is that y- you've got to be thinking about a backup. So what happens if you get stuck in traffic and your heat's on and it's sucking your battery? What happens if you get to the fast charger and for whatever reason it's not working or there's someone there charging already? So you got to kind of look around and think, okay, if I need to plug in before this, or if you know this isn't working, where am I going next? So it does take a little bit more thought. Um, and i kind of liken it to um, you know what what an airline pilot does right you know they think about their flight plan where they're going but they also think about if there's an emergency in the middle of the flight where am I going to divert to where's the nearest airport um, and they really keep tabs on their fuel load at all times so it's not something that's uncomfortable and in fact you know after the first couple of months of owning an EV both my wife and I um, really got over that range anxiety thing but it does take a little bit more intentional planning
2: you know I often say to people People that after you've driven an EV for some time, it's no longer range anxiety, it's range frustration. You're frustrated that that car won't go over 90 or 100 miles. And so, you know, for my wife or my daughter driving that car to school, they really never have to charge that car outside of our garage. And frankly, they like that. Uh, in fact, my 18-year-old said, Dad, you need to teach me how to pump gas. I've never pumped gas in a wow. car before. Yep. And so uh, she, you know, had the luxury of never in two years charging that car outside of our garage. If she needed to use a car that was beyond the electric car's range, she took our Prius. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I have a large family and a lot of cars, and we shift those cars around based on battery, you know, the, the, the battery usage. and where you're going, yeah. the route. Yeah. So it is, yeah. I think you've described it well in describing it like, like a pilot, and you know frankly to be truthful listeners it's a little bit inconvenient to have a low range electric vehicle. I'm glad that I've had the experience and I do look forward to getting a car more like the Chevy Bolt or mm-hmm. you know the Tesla that will give me more range uh, but you know but but there are there are you know, some hazards to these low range vehicles.
5: There, there are. Um, and I guess the flip side of that is, as you said, you don't have to go to a gas station, right? So I'll trade off not going to a gas station every week or every couple of weeks, Amen. you know, to put up with a, a little bit of hassle every once in a while. Yeah. But as, as we've talked about on a previous show, you know, it's not for everyone, right? I mean, if your commute is such or your travel habits are such that you're regularly doing these long distances, you know, you're probably going to end up in a Tesla or not an electric vehicle. Or a bolt,
3: yeah. I mean that's, bolt, a, that yeah. that thing is amazing. I got in the bolt at one of these electric road shows. Two hundred, what hundred mile range for twenty two thousand
2: dollars? Brand yeah, yeah. spanking new. You getting
5: one for twenty two thousand.
2: Hold on, guys. Let me just check with my Amazon expert, Alexa. Alexa, what does the Chevrolet Electric Bolt cost?
1: The Chevrolet Bolt retails for thirty six thousand dollars less tax credits.
3: <laughs> for a. Two hundred plus mile range, brand new GM vehicle, and that was a year ago.
2: Yeah, so you're getting a tax credit, and yeah. you know, and something we don't talk about often is uh, these tax credits. You have to file that long form 1040, you know, to get it if you buy the car. So if you're out there and you file that 1040 easy form, then you may want to lease your car instead of buying your car. So, you know, it's it's really worth talking to another person who's had an experience with an electric vehicle before you go out and see if it works. And the fact that Mosen Tusi will loan you a car for three days, you know, it's worth just going down there and borrowing his car to see if you like it before you go out and spend all this money. I couldn't
3: believe some of the deals he had. I I, I will just say this, I, and, my, and my friend Tim Eccles, an early adopter and EVs and early adopter of technology uh, in general. Uh, has forgotten this but and perhaps didn't know. but I had one of the very first Nissan Leafs in Georgia uh, and and uh, he has I think the first of everything, uh, uh, gentleman commissioner Mr. Eccles. but uh, I was I had to smuggle this thing in from Tennessee. I literally put it on a trailer, bought it in Tennessee, smuggled it in. Uh, because they were not even selling them here at the time and i remember riding down the interstate people would point at me i mean nobody'd seen one but they knew what it was and i had this car until the 2 year i think or 2 2 year lease was up and then i had to go back to my infernal i mean excuse me my internal combustion car and i hated it because it was that world of evs to in, internal combustion. And I had to deal with all these low-range anxiety things that y'all do, and I have some great stories by getting to Macon and driving up to Milton and all kinds of things, and one day we'll get into it, because it was it was those experiences that drove me to making the insane decision of buying a ridiculously expensive car in a Tesla.
2: Let's talk about you know where we're at in our state right now and the importance, and we've talked about on the show, the importance of actually getting people into the car to experience it. And I've begged and pleaded with the manufacturers to provide demos to legislators for a couple of weeks, kind of like Mosen does, but do this for a couple of weeks and give these lawmakers, particularly my Republican colleagues, give these lawmakers a chance to experience these cars while they're in town for the session uh, and they can drive these cars around because really there's nothing like these test drives to, you know, to experience whether the car is something that's going to work for you or not. That's but, a great idea. Um, but I think the strategy that we've used in this state to try to convince lawmakers to make changes, it, it just hasn't worked. And, and we, we haven't been able to to convince them that electric cars are good for everyone. But they are right. Casey, when you think about the benefits of these cars for the entire state, I mean, what what kind of the first couple of things that come to your mind?
5: I mean, I've got a long list, right? So let's talk about you know better air quality because of less pollution. Let's talk about um, you know the fact that the money that you spend on fuel on your electricity stays in the state and creates jobs for Georgians. There you right? go, right? I mean that that's Domestically huge, produced right? Fuel. Yeah. Um, the fact that you know when you're charging, you're typically making more efficient use of all of the electrical infrastructure across the state, all the generation plants, all of the transmission wires, all of the transformers, all of that stuff gets used more efficiently, uh, and it helps uh, lower rates for everyone. Ultimately, I mean they the, just great things for Georgia.
3: Yeah, the money the money side is big for me. When I can go home, it, it, energy consumption costs us roughly in the Georgia Power territory at least, and this is true around the state. The net cost is roughly ten to eleven cents uh, per kilowatt hour, uh, which is the increments of of energy usage. When you're charging an electric charging rate at night, between the hours of 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., all the energy you use nets out at about $0.05. Cents. And I'm happy for my friend, Commissioner Eccles, to correct me on any of those numbers. But net, net, tax, everything, $0.05. Cents. So I go from $0.11 cents to $0.05. Cents. I, will, I will charge cars. I will, I don't know, I'll put electrodes on my tongue. I'll do anything to use power between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. because it is so inexpensive at that time. And that helps, that helps us save money.
2: And don't you think that millennials and even the generation coming along right now through college that with the way they get notifications on their phone and the data plans mm-hmm. and their they're having been on prepaid data plans and, I mean, it seems like they are going to be a generation just really suited for electric vehicles, I mean. Casey, I mean, the data, I guess, shows that it's still an older group using it, but will this younger group begin to use these cars if they, uh, or maybe they don't even buy a car at all?
5: Yeah, well, I think the, the challenge is that it's the intersection of dollars and age, right? So uh, I think the younger groups definitely are more interested in it, but you've got to have a certain amount of money to buy a Tesla, which is kind of the aspirational EV. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it's the younger uh, folks that are going to be demanding these, whether they own them or whether they're using Uber or, you know, a zip car or anything else out there. Everybody I talk to says they're moving to EVs, and I, I, they're building a gas station down
3: the road from me. And I pointed out the other day to a friend, I said that is going to be a dinosaur in five or ten years—a literal dinosaur. Like they'll convert it to something else.
2: Well, UBS in New York says that EVs are going to disrupt, be disruptive to the petroleum industry, to car manufacturing in 2031. Is what they are estimating. Move it up ten, I, Yeah, move it up five or ten yeah.
3: years, and and we can stick it to the Saudis. Yeah, right. I mean I, I just it's it's, it's it, for me it's about energy independence. It's about I love the generation either it's solar power or whatever.
2: Well, you've been listening to Energy Matters. We've been talking about all things EVs and you know, I do encourage you if you have more than one car in your family to consider making one of them And we talked about Mosin Tusi and their company and the fact that you can borrow an EV and use that and go to ev-hybrid.com and kind of see what they've got going on, other dealers as well. So hope you'll continue to listen to Energy Matters. We want to help you save money. We want to help you use technology and and to live a more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Tim Eccles. Gas South believes
6: in the difference we can all make.
2: Welcome back. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters, and uh, this half hour is sponsored by our friends at Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. This is a law firm down at Atlantic Station. John Gournal, uh is one of the principals there, and they've been very involved with the growth of solar in Georgia, and just want a, a special shout-out to them for their, for their leadership. And while we're giving a shout-out, Cox Conserves, uh, which is a, a nonprofit program uh, run by uh, Cox Enterprises, uh, the owner of this station, to me is a gold standard. They're not one of our sponsors. I'm giving a free shout out here because I really appreciate all that the Kennedy family and, the, and this program has done to not only uh, change uh, the complexion at Cox to green, you know, in composting, uh, this the massive number of electric vehicle chargers they have, their commitment to building out solar, to building out wind, and even uh, their uh, their commitment to clean water and what they're doing at their car auctions uh, in terms of making water cleaner after it's coming out of uh, their cleanup barn, uh, you know. And they don't brag about it. And this is one of the things that I like to I like to talk about this because I want to challenge companies, maybe not to do the exact same thing, Casey, but to to consider doing something that'll really make a difference. I I see this with Arthur Blank and and the Mercedes Benz Stadium. I mean, you see this with companies you work with too, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got a lot of companies that are really thinking seriously about the impact that they're having in the world, um, the impact that the world has on their business. So maybe we can talk about, you know, hurricanes in the Southeast here in a little bit. Um, And and, in a lot of cases, it's because their customers are asking them, they're saying, what are you doing to make a difference, and and I want to buy products from you that, you know, actually, you know, have as minimal an environmental impact as possible.
2: You know, John, as Mm -hmm. I've met with uh, Starbucks corporate out in Seattle and Microsoft, I'm I'm hearing more and more of these big companies, they don't want to buy RECs anymore, renewable energy credits. They actually want the real energy. They want to be able to, to see it uh, or at least have it close to their facility, mm-hmm. and to have more ownership in that. Are you seeing that in your business? Or, are mm-hmm. you seeing more and more companies that want to touch and feel it?
3: Yeah, we are. We are diversifying into um, into renewable energy ourselves, but not in, not not. Solar electric, but in solar thermal, in creating hot water uh, from the sun, and in so doing, you get entities that. Well, Starbucks is a great example of a company who looks at their footprint, has an annual report of their footprint, and is trying to drive down the carbon that's created uh, to make a cup of coffee, and and make those places more efficient. It is happening in almost every business, certainly every business that's going to survive, large business that's going to survive in the country. And it better, because internationally, the carbon intensity of companies and the products that they're making is lower in other parts of the world, and it's higher here.
2: And I wish everybody could go down to the Starbucks cup plant in East Dublin. Casey, it's run by Mm Westrock. Paper company, and Mm. they make Starbucks cups out of recycled cardboard. So there's no virgin timber going into that facility, and they're making all these cups that folks get that you know say made of post-consumer you know recycled content. Those are being made right in middle Georgia, and the average Atlantan would never know that. Never knew that. I never knew that. and, And so it's a great thing as we as we talk about sustainability. You know, a lot of it has to do with reuse and recycling. As far as I'm concerned, it's less less material to the landfill less material into the trash can and if you are throwing things in the trash can let's do something with it i was telling my mother-in-law the other day you know hey it's better to put these left this leftover thanksgiving food or christmas food or whatever the mm-hmm. dinner food mm-hmm. into that trash can instead of down that garbage disposal because i want that food going to that landfill in winder georgia where it's going to decompose it's going to become methane it's going to be piped off and it's eventually going to run a trash truck mm-hmm. to me that's more about sustainability and i know john it's important to you because you learned it in your family right about mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. kind of an old-fashioned value isn't it's it? an
3: old-fashioned value all this stuff i mean that well heck when i was a little kid we threw our scraps to the chickens people still do that i mean you know those food scraps. You don't have chickens in your backyard. Back in the olden days, we all had chickens in our backyard, and all those food scraps went to the chickens. And then, well, you harvested the chickens. You know, and you ring a chicken's neck, and next thing you know, you had dinner. That is a full circuit of of food and sustainable food stuff. And, I, I'm, you know, and uh, and well, every now and then, you know, an animal might get in and eat the chicken. Well, that also is part of the food chain.
2: You know, yeah. I think about the forest industry and we, we're we right here in the wood basket in yeah. northeast Georgia. I think about uh, what happens, you know, in a, in a typical mill with the bark that's being pulled off the tree and used maybe to make steam. Mm. Uh, uh, they're using every you know every fiber of that wood. They're taking that liquid that comes out, that black liquor or that white liquor, as it's called. They're, you know, in the case of international paper, a warehouser. They're they're burning that and mm-hmm. they're putting that electricity back on the grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're using all of it. So when I go to a, a a grocery store, I don't ask for, I don't want plastic bags. I want that paper. Because yes, me that, too. That paper. Yep. Uh, is 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 part of that sustainability cycle Mm -hmm. and it's important uh, in the forest industry to me and it's a big part of northeast georgia is is a model uh, for sustainability and how they run their operation. So, you know, I challenge you as you as you go to, you know, your grocery store, ask for that paper bag and and use that or paper bag. Or bring column. your own
3: bag. And yeah. that's the thing that a lot of people are that's doing. That's right. And that, bring your own bag. So so if you're like me and you're forgetful and you forget it, then it's definitely a paper bag. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, Casey, as more and more companies think about sustainability, you know, they're hiring people, engineers, others to run their buildings, to make their buildings greener uh to 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 make those buildings leaner more you know more energy efficient are you seeing kind of a, a nexus between energy efficiency and corporate sustainability uh are you see are you seeing that out there as you work with companies
5: yeah for sure i mean when you look at a lot of particularly major uh industrial companies you know big part of their cost uh is around energy so the less energy they can use, the less you know their products cost, and you know either the more margin they can make or the lower they can price their things, and you know it gives them a competitive advantage. So really, being smart about energy, um, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense for these companies. And and quite frankly, a lot of these larger companies in particular are very very sophisticated energy users. I mean, um, on par with what you know the utilities, uh, you know know about how to operate an energy system. They're thinking about, you know, how do we reduce loads uh, strategically to um, keep our demand charges low? Um, They're thinking about, you know, how do we run things more efficiently over time? How do we minimize downtime? I mean, it's pretty incredible seeing what some of these companies have developed. Mm -hmm. You know,
2: another thing I wish that Georgians could see, you know, we've got the iPhones, we've got our, you know, we've got our equipment, we're, you know, using iCloud, we're, you know, we're using lots of data. These data centers that are coming into our oh, state man. you know whether they're owned by facebook or microsoft these these companies must have reliable energy 100 percent of the time that's right and so you know I'm, so they're I'm, making their own in some cases in some cases yeah, they yeah. are using energy off the grid and using natural gas as a backup or they're building solar like facebook is doing yeah. uh with walton emc uh where they are Putting a very large solar array that's going to provide them power, but I think the average, you know, the average consumer holding their electronic, they don't, they don't necessarily realize or appreciate what it goes in, what goes into making this grid reliable. In Casey, you've done a lot of study about the grid and modernizing the grid, and I mean, what do you see as some of the challenges uh, in front of us?
5: Well I mean I think one of the biggest ones is that reliability piece, right So as we see more extreme weather you know the hurricanes that we've had over the past couple of years, um, you know that not only affects homeowners but it affects businesses too when the infrastructure that supplies their power gets knocked offline right they're they're down until that's you know, back up and running. Um, so that resilience is really a critical factor. And the good news is that we have a lot of the solutions available to us. You know, if you think um, uh, there, there's this you know technology. It's a suite of technologies called the microgrid, right? And so it helps you basically say, okay, you know, if the big transmission line gets knocked down, you know, we in our community we can survive off of locally generated power for a certain um, or an indefinite amount of time. Um, you know, there are communities in California right now that are being powered by microgrids um, that's helping out during the wildfires out there. So that kind of technology is, um, is really important, increasingly important. Yep, John, as you think about your house, your
2: energy plant with the solar, the solar thermal, the batteries, I mean, do you consider your home a microgrid? Are you able to island that power? Or are you feeding all of that power back to, to the power company? How does that work, and how do you see these microgrids working for individual homeowners?
3: I joked and it was a terrible joke, but I joked that uh, during the last storm that I was probably the one guy in Atlanta that was actually looking for a power outage because I wanted to see all that go down and then me be up. Uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting feeling when you know that you're that you're an island into yourself. What I'm hopeful now is we'll create a grid that will allow neighborhoods or sections, micro grids instead of micro micro grids as I am to have those areas and increase our resiliency. The problem right now with our architecture of our infrastructure is, it is all or nothing. The power power grid goes down because the line goes down, and you're all out. But if, if, if homes can stand
5: alone, if neighborhoods can stand alone, I think it's going to be cheaper, and I think it's going to be safer. Well, there's some cool stuff Southern Company is doing right now. I think in Birmingham they started uh, doing a a neighborhood microgrid and they're looking at at doing that uh, in the Georgia Power Service territory. So I'm delighted to hear it.
2: Yeah, Pulte Homes is working with Georgia Power, I think, building out a neighborhood uh, that, uh, you know, where all the homes have solar, all the homes have batteries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I do see, you know, I do see this being a trend in the future. And, you know, my philosophy on the commission has been to get that utility involved, even if it means forcing them to do it. That's Uh, right. And and having them engaged, you know, with solar, you know, with the future microgrids, with the future of batteries, and I think I think we're gonna continue to see that. Well, you've been listening to another episode of Energy Matters. It's been great having Casey and John uh, in the studio. As we continue to learn about EVs, about microgrids, about all things sustainability. So thanks for listening. And I hope that you take action on some of these items and that you can live a more sustainable lifestyle. I'm Tim Eccles.
0: If you like to do this or that, or even that, and you want to stay with it, Emery's got your back or your shoulder or your hip or your knee. Our sports medicine specialists treat more world-class, professional, and college-level athletes than anyone else in the state. We'll treat you like a pro and get you back in play. That's the Emory difference. Make an appointment at emoryhealthcare.org sports.